Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. for the word. I just feel hungry for the word of God lately, so desperate for him. When he speaks, it revives, it restores, it calibrates, it lights the path. And I'm going to just do my humble part to um, facilitate a space for you to hear from the Lord this morning. And you know, the series that we're in, the chapter that we're in, the great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission, to me that's just like the bottom line, the big picture way to express our response to this lavish love of God. Everything that God has done for us through Christ in giving us the Holy Spirit and giving us salvation and sacrificing and, and suffering so we could enter into his glory. Like what's the bottom line of our response as the people of God? It's this great commitment to Christ. It's obeying the great commandment, right? I know commandment is not really one of our favorite words, right? <laughs> I get into regular discussion about that whole idea of like people, like parents being able to command children. Well, God being able to command the people who aren't God, right? Like in theory, like let's take ourselves out of the picture and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So ob obedience to God's commands and then this great commission, this purpose. And all of us love purpose. I mean, that's the easy bet of this. You know, we talk about purpose and we're like, yes, you know, we wanna, we wanna make an impact on the world. We wanna make the world a better place. But like the commitment and the commandment part, that's like, eh. <laughs> like, let's get to the purpose part and maybe we'll be committed and maybe occasionally we'll listen to the commandments. But they're all three intertwined. If you wanna walk the walk that Jesus has destined for you so you can experience the peace and the life that comes from knowing him. It's a great commitment. That means your faith goes beyond feeling, it goes beyond circumstances, and you are in this covenant relationship with God. That hell or high water, by the grace of God working in you, you're sticking it out for the long haul with Jesus Christ. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus wouldn't have said that if he didn't know there was gonna be some temptations to just quit along the way. So this great commitment, and it's mirroring, and we're reflecting and imitating the commitment that God has towards us. And so great commitment to the great commandment and um, the great commission. Well, this morning I want to turn to Luke 14. And I'm just going to do another um, kind of broad stroke about this whole big picture. You know, you guys, one of the things, one of the ways that Joe and I in the, in the church, we want to serve you in facilitating these spaces is when you come, when we come together through community groups, through conversations in the cafe, through corporate settings like this, I want it to be this holy, sacred, divine reminder for you of what your life is really about and who you really are. You're, you know, the practical workings of your life and every, every little practical detail of your life is holy and sacred. But I want when you come in contact with Ramp Church, it to be this divine awakening, this divine reminder of what your existence here on earth is really about. 
So that when you're fixing dinner and you're working nine to five and you're commuting on the tram, that you don't forget that we, we're so easily prone, right, to spiritual amnesia. And we forget the plot line. And so I want to create spaces. I want to serve you by helping facilitate this undercurrent that when you come into community here and you come into corporate settings here, you are reminded, you are awakened again to the eternal storyline you're a part of, to the eternal purposes of God that you're a part of. And this is so important why we come together, because even Paul said we need to remind and encourage each other about these big, obvious, epic, glorious truths. You know, and we think, oh, I mean, it's what Jesus has done for us. Like, that is so amazing. How could we ever forget? Of course, you know, I mean, we are. We are Israel in the wilderness, right? God delivers them miraculously. And then there they are worshiping the golden calf. <laughs> we are Israel. We are so prone to forget God and the plot line and what he's actually destined us for and the storyline that he's written for us. So we want to have these kind of spaces so we can encourage each other and remind each other of what your life is really about. Um, so Luke 14, Jesus is changing lives, making history, walking the earth. People are getting healed and delivered. And he's teaching and people are mesmerized by his authority, by his revelation. And they're mesmerized because the Pharisees and Sadducees keep trying to trick him. And he just slays them to bits with his arguments. And everybody is, you know, there's crowds following him. And so in, and he's continually gathering people, healing and ministering to the multitude. And then he sifts the crowd. He sifts the crowd with these hard truths, hard truths, truths that don't make sense to the natural mind. And then instead of explaining it, he's like, well, if you were spiritually minded, you would understand it. Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. But you're deaf and your father's the devil, so you can't hear. I mean, he literally says it. I was reading in John 8 and I was like, Jesus, you just told them that their father was the devil and that's why they couldn't understand anything. <laughs> he's not afraid to sift the crowd. And he's like, he's just unflinching. Like he knows who he is. He knows where he came from and why he's there. And so he's not entangled by these arguments and man-pleasing that we get so easily tripped up in. So Luke 14, and he's about to sift the crowd again. So a large crowd was following Jesus. This is um, Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross, which back in the day was a device of torture for criminals, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin, okay, so now it's like, whoa, right? Everybody in the crowd is like, uh. <laughs> he continues. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin the construction of building of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's that person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. 
Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy's still far away. So he wraps it up with this. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And then he goes on and talks about salt and then he ends that whole paragraph with anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. <laughs> and so how do we get this? And what does he mean by hate other people and love him more? And, you know, this is where I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit helps us and leads us and guides us into all truth. But ultimately what Jesus is saying here is if you're calling me Lord and you want to follow me, then I come first before all others. That it looks like hate by comparison. Now, how do we get there? We don't do that by saying, well, spouse, I'm going to have to love you less so I can love God more. No, that's not what God wants either. He doesn't want us to love him more by decreasing our love for others. We can't. That's impossible. He says overflow and grow in love, grow in love, grow in love. But love Christ and let your loyalty and devotion to him be first and foremost, look like hate by comparison. Now, why would he even have to say that? Because these beautiful relationships, the human tendency of anything that God created for our enjoyment and for our good, the human tendency is we tend to then replace God with the things he created, and then we worship those created things instead of God the creator. So he's helping us here. Jesus is saying, is saying, if I am God, then you have to love me first and foremost above all others. And it doesn't need to be like um, hard to figure out for people. It needs to be hate by comparison. So there needs to be like a, like you shouldn't have to look for a follower of Christ you shouldn't have to dig too deep and search too long to see. There is this devotion to Jesus that is really coming through the avenues of that person's life. So that's the contrast. He's saying hate by comparison. He's saying, I'm saying it should be loud. Like there should be something about the way we live that our love for God is evident to the world around us. It's a total life transformation. It's impacting our wife, our children, our, our, the decisions that we make for business. It's infiltrating all these temporary beautiful gifts. Earthly money and careers and all that. It's all fitting into this context now of loyalty to Jesus and devotion to him. Okay, so now... Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. And as I've been praying for you, honestly, I felt a little intimidated because I really felt like I was supposed to hit on this passage. But this is one of those chapters, 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul is trying to, he's basically working out with the church in, in Corinth the practical implication of those words of Jesus to forsake everything, to love him above all, to be devoted to him. And he's got these new believers in this new church and they're asking him questions, like practical questions. Like, Paul, 
Can we have sex or can we not have sex if we're a Christian? Can we get married? What if we need to remarry? And do we need to leave our job to get a new job? So he's got all of these new believers and they're asking him questions. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he's like responding to those questions in light of this commitment that they've made to Jesus. So we're coming in on the middle of that discussion. But how many of you sitting in this room, like you want to know, what does that really mean for me? Does that mean singleness, marriage, career? Do I work this job or do I work that job? Like We want to know how it actually hits the ground. Like how do we do it? And so when we read passages like this, the Holy Spirit, even though Paul's speaking to a specific time and culture, the Word of God, the Spirit of God is able to then illuminate things to us about our own lifestyle, about our own choices. So then we can, like the church in Corinth, then our faith actually becomes functional. And it's not just some abstract theory, but it's worked out with fear and trembling. So 1 Corinthians 7. So the first thing he's answering is about, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I encourage you, I'm going to kind of get to the bottom line of what Paul's saying. It's going to help us hopefully discern, like what's, when we're facing decisions, like what's the bottom line of what, how we make these decisions about jobs and relationships? How do we not let these things that are good work and the ability to work and, and community and horizontal relationships that bring us life? Like how do we keep them from not becoming the ultimate thing, right? Because we're so prone to do that. So it's like we, we talk on community and then everybody gets excited about community. And then before we know it, like we're idolizing these earthly relationships and we love these earthly relationships more than God. And so then we have to come back over here and constantly the pendulum is swinging back and forth and we're trying to find this balance right because the enemy works in extremities but we're called to be sober-minded and balanced we're we're called to be able to enjoy the good gifts of God and have relationships with other humans that are life-giving but not ultimate they're a channel but they're not the source right they're good gifts for our enjoyment and our growth but they're not our master. They don't make the final call about things. Jesus is master. So Paul's working this out. And so he's talking about different things. He's talking about our sexuality. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about singleness. He's talking about remarriage. (laughs) Which I keep remembering this funny little story. This is just a side trail. When I was about a 10-year-old girl and I went to um, a Christian school, and how, I mean, some of you have been around a 10-year-old, 11-year-old girls, right? There's lots of silliness, <laughs> lots of silly, silliness with a big dose of vanity <laughs> and cuteness and all the other good stuff. But so the question going around my school was um, people kept coming up and these girls kept coming up, coming up to me and they kept saying, well, do you, okay, do you want to get married or have Jesus return? Like, which would you rather have? Like, like, if Jesus comes back before you get married, are you going to be sad about it? And, and they kept asking. You know, so it's okay, put your 10-year-old girl. If you put your 10-year-old girl head on, which I know is impossible for you guys, but that question makes, that question makes maybe a little bit more sense. You're like, you really want to get married, so you're willing to delay the return of Christ so that you can get married first because you really want to experience sex, but you really want Christ to come back. So it's like, what is going on here? And I can remember, 
I remember saying, uh, I, think I, I think I really want Jesus to come back because, I mean, I'm sure marriage is great and I'm only 10 and I don't really know about, about it, but I'm, I just really hope, I hope, I hope the return of Christ is going to be better than marriage. I mean, as glorious as marriage is, and all of you married people are like, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? Because you've experienced the joy and the suffering. So it's like, how do we... But that's really that question is ultimately we're all prone to that. We're looking at these temporary things and we're weighing them up against the return of Christ and we're, we're somehow thinking that they're comparable. We're somehow like, okay, like career success, like let me begin my career and then, then Maranatha, then come Lord Jesus. And we get confused, right, of what really matters. And how do we interact with these temporary things without making them ultimate things? And how do I relate to these earthly people without loving them more than God? How do I lay down my life for them, but also keep Christ foremost in my actions? And this is the tension that we live in. And this is why we have to be devoted to God on a daily basis, reading his word, gathering with his people to do what the word says, to work out our salvation, to work it out, to let it get infused in all the decisions of our life so that when the world, who the world, the world around us, and maybe you're in here and you, you aren't a follower of Christ yet. And you're still kind of exploring. I want to commend you for your bravery to come. And I want to say, this is, you're, you're, you're in scripture. You're the crowd listening to Jesus. And you're trying to figure it out. And this is a wonderful place for you to, to hopefully try to figure it out. So Jesus, he's here on earth and he's here now in us. And he's helping us work out what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength? And what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? And how do we fulfill this great big commission? I mean, all that's great, but I just need to know what job you want me to land. And can I marry him or not? <laughs> can I date him or not? I mean, you know, and all these things. And I love, I love how God's committed to teaching us his way. I want to reassure you this morning, if you're seeking God about direction for relationships, for, for uh, career decisions, seek him. Keep seeking him. And if you're praying about things and you haven't heard yet, keep praying. God will answer. It may not be the answer that you want, right? But he will answer you. And oftentimes the wait is not about is not about God's not wanting to tell you. It's about he's waiting for you to be willing. In the wait, you become more willing to do whatever he says. So, three things that I want to take from Luke 14 and 1 Corinthians 7. How to keep the main thing the main thing. Because here is one of the big main things, is that Jesus is coming back. And that's glorious. First Peter 4 says, First Peter 4 verse 8, I think it says, the end and the culmination of all things is near. Now for believers, that's like a hope-filled statement, right? We hear that and we're like, hallelujah. But if you're not a believer, that's like, oh my gosh, like what does that mean? 
But this is a hope field. The end, Jesus is coming back for his bride. He is already making all things new. But when he comes again, he is going to wrap this up all in glory. And the suffering's going to give way to glory. And we're going to be transformed, body, soul, and spirit. And we're going to be with him where he is. Not just in spirit, but in the place where he is ruling, we'll be ruling and reigning with him. Oh, hallelujah. So I was driving in the car, and I began to think about some work deadlines. I have to get these things done by this date. And then all of a sudden, I was thinking, oh my gosh, my life has a deadline, and I don't know what the deadline is. <laughs> and then I began to think, wait, Christ is coming. That's another deadline, and I don't know when that deadline is either. So when you have this deadline and you're aware of it, it changes the way you behave and interact with the world around you. Right? You have a deadline, and by that deadline, it better be all ship-shape ready. And our life, and why doesn't God tell us when we're going to die or when he's going to return? Because when we live in this state of readiness, we're making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's just what Paul said in Ephesians 5. We make the most of every opportunity because we have this deadline and Christ is coming and my life is limited and everything better revolve around what he has asked of me if he's Lord. If he's not Lord, then don't revolve it around him. But if he's Lord, Matthew 7, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things that I say? Don't call him Lord if you don't do what he says. And don't call him Lord if we don't care about what he cares about. And don't call him Lord if we're not willing to live our lives here on earth as Jesus lived his life here on earth. And here's the thing about Jesus is you don't have to follow him. You have a choice how you respond to this irresistible grace to this grace, this love that draws us in. And sure, sometimes it's hard, but do you ever think about that on hard days? You think, well, I don't have to do it. In fact, when Peter spoke up and he said, well, all the disciples in John 6, multitudes were leaving, and Jesus looked at him and said, are you guys leaving too? And sometimes I feel the Lord ask me that. If I'm like moaning, you know, in my prayer time, I'm like, this is hard. The suffering, the cross, the suffering, the cross. And I can just hear those piercing eyes. I can hear the word of God. And Jesus looking at me say, are you leaving too? And Peter says, Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? You've got to keep your eyes on the main thing. He has the word of life. So I'm going to just skim down. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. And that's the first thing that I want you, when you're making decisions about your life, I want you to keep that in mind. From Luke 14 to all throughout the New Testament, even the prophets and all from the very beginning, this time here is limited. And so here's the thing you need, to, you need to know. First, eternity. There's a moment when everything temporary is going to give way to eternal. But everything in this temporary 
is setting you up. There's fruit. There's consequence when you get to the eternal realm. So it's not just like eternity wiped away, or a temporary realm wiped away, new slate eternity. No. The decisions you make in this temporary realm, you will live with the consequences or rewards of those decisions when you get to eternity. And some of you think, well, I'm just going to like barely get by, but when I get to heaven, me and Jesus, we're going to be close. (laughs) And here's the thing. You're already living in your relationship with Jesus now. And the devotion that you put into that relationship now will enlarge your capacity for glory when you get to heaven. And although you won't be punished for sin, you will be rewarded for what you've done. So think of that judgment seat of Christ for believers where there's no judgment, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We love that, right? But we will be rewarded according to what we have done. So it'll be like this great, like, I don't know, think of it like the Olympics. Okay, and you're standing up there to get your rewards. And there's no punishment for not getting first place, right? You don't go to hell because you didn't get first, second, or third. But you get rewards. And those rewards, I'm not, I would guess it's about our capacity to hold joy and glory. So no matter what your capacity is, you're going to be full. But depending on the life you lived and the choices you made, you will be rewarded. So this, oh, so, so Paul's saying time is short. So when you're making decisions about relationships and work, and just keep this in mind, say time is short. So you work from eternity backwards. You start from the end and you work backwards. Time is short. Where should I work? Where should I live? Well, what is God saying about it? Because time is short. Well, time is short. Well, I'm going to give an account for every idle word, for every good deed. I'm going to give an account for my life. Time is short. How do I make the most of this time that's been gifted to me? So eternity first. Work backwards from there. Second thing. Okay, so from now on, I'm picking up in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Now, some of you actually do need to focus on your marriage. <laughs> and I'm not negating what Paul said, but he's speaking into a context. He's trying, to, he's trying to bring balance to them, right? So some of you think that marriage looks like you getting a wife so that you can fulfill the purpose of God. And that's not a wife. That's a servant. You think you, you think you need a wife so somebody can carry your anointing. But you're actually called to lay down your life for your wife. (laughs) So, so he's bringing balance. So some of you, you're like, oh, I'm doing great on that. I haven't spoken to my wife for months. But no, he's saying, (laughs) time is short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage and those who weep or who rejoice, or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping, or their joy, or their possessions. And that's the temptation of life on earth, is the, is the world around you is wanting you to absorb it, 
and be absorbed by its values and be absorbed by its culture and be absorbed by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life and be defined by your accomplish and be defined by your relationships and be defined by your appearance and all that's trying to get in you and if it gets in you it will change you but Paul's saying no remember time is short so don't be absorbed by these worldly things and those and this is verse 31 so those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them for this world as we know it will soon pass away and in first John 3 it says do not love the world or the things that are of the world for the lust of the flesh and the pride of life the lust of the eye these are all things of the world and the world is passing away but those who live and do the will of God will live forever so we're constantly, we're constantly having to come together and encourage each other and remind each other of what really matters and what matters most and what's the bottom line and what's the point. So then going down verse in, um, 35, he gives this beautiful summary. He's saying, you know, he had just been talking about, well, should we remarry or should it be single? And I mean, Paul was single and Jesus was single. And since Paul was single, they're like, well, you know, I'm married. Should I just, should I be single like you, Paul? I mean, I've just gotten saved. I mean, it's going all right. I'm willing. <laughs> and then other people, you know, other people like, no, I, I don't want to leave my husband. They've just, I'm, I'm saved and they're not. And he's speaking into all of the beauty and the complexity of these horizontal relationships. And then there's widows, and then there's people who, you know, who are single, who are graced with the gift of singleness, and people are graced with the gift of marriage. And navigating all of that, he's summarizing it in verse 35. He's saying, I'm saying for this, for this, uh, I'm saying this for your benefit. So pause right there. That's a beautiful reminder that anything God gives us, any instruction he gives you for your life, go there don't go there be a friend to that person cut off that toxic relationship all of that what's the bottom line of that for your benefit for your benefit if he gives you a word to be single if he gives you a grace and um, for marriage all these things what is for your benefit he's ushering you into eternity with these choices he's moving you forward in the will of god so for your benefit, the commands of God are not burdensome. Come on, even when he calls you, and then we often, love well, we're always looking at the, the, the grass on the other side, right? The other side of the fence. And I'm just saying, there's a cross and there's a grace, no matter which road you choose. Your selfishness will be confronted if you're following Jesus. Whether you're single, married, parent, no kids, because remember, the point is he's trying to teach you how to learn to love. So he's saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best. With as few distractions as possible. So he's just summarized a lot about sexuality. He's just summarized a lot about remarriage. He's just summarized a lot about widowhood. He's summarized about singleness and marriage. And now he's given the big bottom line. Say the big bottom line. Now I love the bottom line, okay? Like give me the bottom line. What are you saying? And here's what he's saying. I wanna do whatever will help 
you serve the Lord. Say, serve the Lord. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you've said you want your life to serve the Lord. You're not expecting God to serve you. <laughs> no, if he's God and you're following him, then you've said, I want my life to serve God. So then every decision can have the bottom line, what's going to help me serve the Lord best? Now, maybe you're single and you want to be married. You run after God as hard as you can, and you serve God with all your heart, and who's running beside you? You shouldn't have to turn around and go back. Can I just say it like that, okay? I mean, Paul's specific instruction for those who are remarrying was as long as they are loving in the Lord, in the Lord. So there's loads of these instructions and this revelation that God wants to give you to help you make the right decision. He wants you to live a life that's on purpose and on point. But your life and our life here, it's not, we can't, it's not about the possessions. It's not about, I was talking to my, uh, one of my daughters on the way back from dance school yesterday. And I was just like, you know, like sometimes like the mom brain gets and you're like, what kind of dances are they doing in that dance class? <laughs> Because I had just seen like something else that she had showed me something. She doesn't have social media yet or anything. She's on Instagram or uh, she was on somebody else's TikTok. And I was like, what kind of stuff are they looking at? What kind of dances? I refrained from going into the dance class just so you know I was tempted to have a little peek. But she comes into the car and I just began to say, you know, this is really important. As you're growing in a woman of God, you need to know your life's not defined by your appearance or your relationships or your accomplishments right? Your life has to orbit around who God says you are and what he's called you to do. And you're defined by his love for you. His love for you. That's what defines us. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. We are rooted and grounded in the love of God. We are not rooted and grounded in marriage or in singleness. Those are both temporary. Marriage is temporary. Singleness is temporary. We're all about to be the bride at the holy wedding feast of the Lamb. This is all just Polaroid snapshots. If you're single, your life is this legacy. You're showing the world that your legacy is not tied up in a bloodline here on earth. And your life is not just this legacy of temporary worldly relationships. You've got a legacy that's deeper than that. And if you're married, you're this Polaroid snapshot, this witness, this evidence of this other expression, this angle. It's like a multifaceted diamond, this covenant with God. And there's glory looking at from the singles lens and there's glory looking at from the married and from the widowhood and all these angles. Glory can come through all those angles and point people higher. Say higher. Oh, and isn't it, you know, it's so sad. I was just in closing, you know, I was thinking about Joseph in the um, Old Testament. I was thinking, gosh, poor Joseph. He had so many, so much injustice, Right. And all the injustice came through avenues of relationship. Promoted by his father, demoted by his brothers, promoted by Potiphar, demoted by Potiphar's wife. It seems like he's just this victim of all these relationships gone wrong. And in Psalms it says that the Lord gave Pharaoh, um, Joseph this dream and until it was this time to fulfill that promise in Joseph's life that the Lord tested him 
to see his character. And when relationships are going haywire and they are not going as you hoped, just be encouraged looking at Joseph. And maybe the Lord is testing your character because he's got an eternal promotion. I'm not talking about a worldly promotion. I'm talking about the kind of promotion where Jesus comes and he gives cities to rule over for eternity, that kind of reward. Let's talk about the real stuff. That kind of promotion. He's testing your character. So hang in there. And in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. He doesn't have to do that for everybody, but for those who love him. And those who are called according to his purpose, he's already working good for all of these things. Oh, Joseph. Oh, Joseph. Come on, all Paul, all of us who've seen what the devastation can bring of relationships gone wrong, of, of, of when we lose our way with purpose and work and all these things and we're absorbed by them, God can use, he wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. He works it all together for good. But we've just got to love him and remember that we're called according to his purpose. I want us to just stand to our feet. So those things, in summary, when you're making a decision, eternity first. Say eternity first. Say loving the Lord first. First and foremost. And then the third one was serving the Lord. What's going to help you love the Lord and serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible? The Holy Spirit will show you. You may have to spend a lot of time with him to hear him, but he will give you what you need so you can walk in the will of God.